Welcome to the ENA Podcast. This is the ENA Podcast. This is Dan Campana, Senior Manager for PR and Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association, coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the Fall Regional Symposium. And I'm honored to have with me today one of our speakers from this morning's panel, Lieutenant Brian Murphy from the Oak Creek Police Department. Uh, you're retired now, but welcome, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Brian, uh, real quick, tell us a little bit about your background. How many years were you on the job and a little bit about what uh, what the community of Oak Creek is like? I, I grew up in New York, moved out to Wisconsin when I was 28. I uh, spent 23 years in law enforcement working with Oak Creek. Uh, city of Oak Creek is, uh, I would put it as a high um, high to mid uh, level city, okay. uh, about 35,000, 26 square miles. Uh, police department was uh, 58 sworn. Okay. Uh, so not a huge no, department. No, but... not, not by any stretch, but uh, we've been through our share of things. Sure. Uh, that that's kind of helped us along. Well, and that's why you're here today. Um, in your the, the waning years of your career, uh, unfortunately, you were involved with two different active shooter situations. Uh, talk a little bit about just generally um, the type of those, what those incidents were like, you know, and then we can get a little bit of what, about what you talked about in the session today. But what, what were those two incidents? Could you describe them a little bit for us? Right, so the first one was in 2004, and that was more of a spontaneous, uh, just a drug dealer got into an argument with his girlfriend, shot her, and then uh, went up and down the hallway just randomly shooting before he took a hostage. So uh, we got, you know, I was on a SWAT team at that point. Uh, we got there. We're not as prepared uh, as we were the second time around. Sure. Uh, there was no rescue task force. There were, we didn't have a Thames unit. We didn't have anything. So there's a little bit of a conflict. Yeah. Uh, and then in 2012 was the Sikh Temple shooting where six people were, were killed. Uh, another three besides me were shot uh, and injured. Uh, and that one uh, went better as far as an overall response, but as every incident goes, there's always things to learn. Sure. So, and so you talked about the size and you know sort of Oak Creek and what the community is sort of like. So you know, there's a lot of relationships that go on there with fire, EMS, you know, your local EDs. Um, so between these two scenarios, um, your relationship to what the trauma world is dealing with are two very different things. So in the first one, you were more in the making sure the people that um, were wounded, you know, the calls are coming in through your fire, you know, that they were getting off to the hospitals. The second time around, you saw things a little bit differently because you mentioned you were wounded. So talk a little bit about one. I know you got a little background in terms of relationship to ED nurses, but you go from somebody who's responding to a call who all of a sudden now is in need of trauma care. So talk a little bit about how you found yourself in that position and a little bit about your relationship to emergency nurses. So I was the first responding officer to the Sea Temple shooting. Uh, when I got there, there were two people down in the parking lot. Uh, when I was checking on them is when the shooter came out. Uh, we got into a, a small gunfight. Uh, and I was shot 15 times. Uh, my, my main priority at that point was to remain calm. And uh, it is, it's a, so much of a different perspective. I've been mass car accidents, you know, I've, I've been to, to shootings, I've been to all those things and accompany people to the hospital. And it's from, from that, from an LE uh, standpoint, it's just work at that point. Right. But when it's you on that gurney, and, you know, you're worried about what your fire department's doing. Uh, one, because they know you and you know them. And that changes the dynamic of professionalism in as much as 
when I know you're Dan and we've worked together for 20 years and now I look like a human sprinkler, your reaction is going to be so much different because I'm not just a patient, right. I'm Brian. Right. And that, that changes it. But for me, I think the big thing was getting a freighter, which is all level one trauma center. And they're a very well-oiled machine, uh, so much so that when I got there, I've never felt calmer because everybody was calm around me. They were very professional in what they did, but laying on the gurney and watching it and knowing these people are going to save my life uh, is much different than standing, you know, accompanying the the, the shooting victim or, right. you know, one of those things. So, yeah, it's a, it's a much different world. And you mentioned earlier that you have a family relationship, you know, uh, to an ED nurse. So you know the, the type of person that it takes to work in that type of chaos. I mean, as a cop, you're a first responder. You're going to where the trouble is at. The ED nurses, the trouble is coming in through the door in one form or another. But talk, it was your, your sister was an ED nurse, right? That's correct. She had, my, my sister Elaine was an ED nurse in Brooklyn. Uh, and it was funny. Her husband's a fireman. Okay. So between the, we have the corner on the, the, the first responder market. Uh, but it's funny how everybody looks at things a little bit different. I mean, we get there, we see it so much sooner. And I think even from ID personnel, they're, they're like our dispatch in as much as they hear what's going on, but they're not going to see it till it's actually sitting in their lap. And there's a little bit of a difference there. I imagine their anxiety levels are even a little bit higher because that, that transport time maybe 10, 15 minutes. Right. Uh, like even for me, I when I responded to the temple, it started as a fight, then it was possible shots. And then, you know, but I was there in a minute in 59 where, you know, I know trauma at, at Freighter, they were sitting there waiting uh, because they were notified early. Yeah. But it, it, you really don't know what you're going to get until it comes through the door. Right. One of the things that you talked about uh, in your lessons learned, um, and, and by the way, you know, the presentation, what was uh, striking to me as somebody who's got familiar with law enforcement, you know, in my background, to see how you use the photos to describe what was probably shocking to a lot of people was about the shooter being the calmest person in this entire scenario and his methodology of what he was doing. And then when it starts to break down because you're on scene and now it goes down that path. But the next piece that came into this was the shot of your, from your squad of your back seat as you're being pulled into it by other responding officers and how they were treating you and how they were preparing you to get onto a rig and go someplace. Um, you lived through it, but then to see it again, what did that, you know, from the first shooting to this one, it shows a different level of preparation for what can happen, but also that personal and professional emotion of these guys who know you. They're calling you Murph, which is a cop nickname if I've ever heard one, right? <laughs> but what was it like to see that, you know, later on and go, okay, this is how everybody responded. This proved that we learned something from the first time to this time. Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought that up because in 2004, we were, it was much more haphazard. And, but, you know, we, we knew some active shooter drills, uh, but this one in particular, when I watched it and I got to see, you know, Dean in the backseat with me calling for the med bag. And what's not even shown there is uh, where the, the fire department was staged was at the end of the uh, the roadway. But uh, the second responding officer, Sam Lender, who put the shooter down, he came up. They affected a, a, a officer rescue, which we then, after the first shooting, we practiced yeah. religiously, went off great. But... Nobody actually got on the air and asked for the ambulance, and Sam drove out and got them. Okay. And and not only that, and the, kudos to the fire department, 
the scene wasn't necessarily safe. We just had one shooter down. We didn't know if there were other ones, but they came in because now, you know, we have a Thames unit. We've, we've practiced, we've drilled with them. Uh, We set up scene security uh, perimeter just to get me on board and out. Uh, And, 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 you know, they had already taken one of the other people who had fled the scene after being shot. But even so, it's a, a again, we're, we're friends. We know each other. Uh, and having worked together in, in a small agency, we were able to focus on the needs right away. And uh, as, as emotion-filled as it is, because they are friends and colleagues, everybody really did a phenomenal job. So when you're talking about the lessons learned, one of the things, and I'm sure later on in a lighter moment, you see him cutting your vest and going, oh, my God, do you know how much those things cost? You're cutting this thing off of me. But you talked about some of the things that you did. And one of them was a little information card in these in your vest. Talk about that. Absolutely. We learned that earlier on. Again, uh, we, we've been through enough. We had that first shooting, uh, active shooter. But we had uh, enough go on that we realized right, with, every time we debrief, uh, we we always made a point of take it out of yourself and say, all right, what could we have done to make it easier for the fire department? Mm-hmm. What could we have done at the hospital? And that's one of the things is information is key. Mm-hmm. So uh, from a from a personal safety standpoint, having my medical card in my vest, that as soon as we got into the ambulance, the card came out, the fire guys can read it, get on to, to the trauma center, give them all the information. There's it. It's, it's such a cheap thing, but it's overlooked. And it's sometimes those little minor details are what sets incidents apart. I mean, not to over-dramatize it, but it can be life or death because right. if you have a bad allergy, if you have a medical history, nobody knows these things, but the quicker you can provide information and, and stop misinformation, yeah. the better off everybody in that scene is going to be. And watching that video, because of where you were shot, you were down to barely a whisper at that point. So, you know, if you, for some reason, were in a situation where these weren't people who knew you, that card, which you talk about some of the things that could be on there, blood type, allergies, um, I, I know, what other types of things could you put on that card? You can put anything that you want yeah. on it. My suggestion to anybody involved with this is go to your trauma center. Ask them what information would be most pertinent sure. for you. Uh, because maybe it's a different per jurisdiction. Yeah. But we have emergency contact. Uh, we have physicians like who my primary is, just so they, if they need to contact them right. to find out my medical history. And when, you, when you're unable to speak or, you know, if you were even worse shape in terms of being unconscious, at least they would have something, like you said, more, some information is better than no information or misinformation in a situation like that. So you, you mentioned debriefing. And what I took away from what you were describing to, the, to our audience here in Milwaukee was um, something I think is applicable everywhere when it comes to debriefing. So I've, I've heard them talk about how do you debrief in an ED after something like this comes into your facility and one of the things you brought up, which I thought was a really interesting point, was it's not just about sit down, tell us what you, what happened from your perspective, and then we'll take it into account and we'll change policy or procedure. You talk about making it a much more personal level. Why is it? Why getting to a personal level do you think is important, no matter what type of facility you're in when it comes to debriefing? Well, bad part of it is it's not just about procedure. You're dealing with people. And uh, we lost two people to uh, PTSD. Uh, after the shooting. And as we know, PTSD doesn't necessarily come from just one incident. But I I do believe if you're going to debrief debrief correctly, 
You have to make those resources available. Uh, you have to ask, how do you feel about that? What did, and, and, and I guess the easiest part and from talking to a lot of people is if you go to a bad car accident and, and you and I go and we render aid, you may do fine, but I may be horrible because the person in the car looked an awful lot like my mom or looked like that. We don't know these things. And that's why we have to open it up because, you know, you, you can't lose people on the back end of a traumatic incident simply because you didn't focus on the well-being of all the people involved. And, you know, from the law enforcement aspect, there's way more people, uh, officers who die every year from suicide than gunshots. It's practically five to one. Mm. We're almost at 200,000 this year already, and it's not over. But, you know, again, we, we shouldn't do that. Uh, if we're concerned about change in policy, we have to look at the people involved because that's, that, to me, that's your resource. What's a good question? So if you're, you, and you've been a part of a lot of debriefings, you've mentioned, what is a good question that you can ask a frontline person who is experiencing something like this, whether it's the first time or the 50th time, what would be a good question to make sure that you're focused in on how they're feeling? I would ask him, you know, exactly how you sleeping. Uh, but here's the, 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 here's where you have to be careful with that. To me, a debrief, especially a large debrief with a lot of people, you may not get as much information there as you want. You need to have that, the mental health professional there to speak about things that this kid, this is affecting you here. These are the things you need to be wary of because you, yeah, we're an ego-driven. <laughs> uh, I mean, whether you're ED or LA or FD, yeah. everybody's ego-driven and nobody wants to really step up and right. say, this made me feel horrible. I'm having trouble sleeping. Right. But you have to at least avail that and say, okay, here's what, here's what you should look for. These are the signs. Are you losing interest? Are you having nightmares? All these things and, and make it confidential. But... That, that for me, the people who are directly affected you, if, uh, if I was ruling the world, <laughs> would be you need to get a three-month, six-month, and one-year mental health checkup. may take you five minutes, go in, it's all good. But to not at least offer that, yeah. I, think is, uh, I think it's a shortcoming. And to me, someone, and, and I've talked to a lot of cops over the years, um, for a cop to, to say it's okay to talk about what's not good or what, you're, what, what's not, what you don't feel good about um, – you know, it's it's okay to talk about it. For a cop to come forward and, and elicit that, that says something because you know, you talked about the PTSD, you talked about, you know, you don't know what's going to trigger the right or the wrong reaction for people. So you know, I think, you know, if anybody who's listening who knows a police officer knows, you know, the tide is turning, people are becoming more open about what's affecting them from a mental health perspective, but there's still a lot of work to be done and it's okay to open those doors, right? Absolutely. And when you think about it, whether you're in the our job as first responders, uh, including ED, are we meet people at their worst moments. Yeah. You can only eat so much of that yeah. before it starts affecting you. And and I think, you know, years ago, the suck it up buttercup thing, that's, <laughs> that, that, it, that's why we had as many alcoholics. That's why we had super high rates of divorce. But not that it's, while it's gotten better, we're not where we should be. We're still... Uh, active law enforcement has a higher rate of suicide than active military by by a wide by margin. margin. Yeah. And that means, you know what, we're seeing more things. We're in a more violent society. So we're seeing things that most normal people don't see on a day-to-day basis. We have to take that into effect. And again, if you're going to offer 
wage benefits and health benefits, mental health benefits have to be included in that, sure. encouraged, and the taboo of utilizing them completely exiled, you know, taken away yeah. so people feel comfortable. Sure. And, you know, if, if, if I always equate this to if you have bad things going on in your own personal life, you're bringing that with you to work, and that's weight. And you're not bringing your A game. So you yeah. can't protect yourself. You can't protect other people to the extent that you should because it's not right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I know you've you've done a you know, version of this presentation many, many times. You've talked to a number of audiences, probably a variety of types of audiences. Um, our group here it gave you a standing ovation. I know you sat down and you did the cop thing. You kind of waved them back like, you know, it, Unnecessary, you know, modesty is an inherent trait in most police officers. But what does it mean to you to get that sort of a response? Because um, you weren't putting yourself up there as a hero. You were there to talk about something that could happen anywhere and could roll into any ED anywhere. And how can you help bridge that gap? But where does it where does it strike you when you see something like that in a room like that? It, it always humbles me, and and I think especially when you deal with healthcare professionals, when when. Again, we're not always on the same page yeah. between you know, the, the, <laughs> the trifecta of fire, you know, ADL, you know, LE. So when they, they do give you that kind of response, you realize, you know what, but it works both ways. For me, you forget sometimes, oh, they're, they're a nurse. Yeah. Yeah, but they're doing, they're, they're the boots on the ground, just like, the, right. you know, the cops, the boots on the ground. And again, it's very humbling. It's, uh, I, I, to be honest with you, my... If I had my my perfect world, I could do my presentation, then disappear <laughs> and just go away. Because I, I think the message is important, and that's why I do it. Uh, but I, I don't like that point. Just, <laughs> You're not doing it for you. You're doing no, it for the greater good, right? And, and I do believe there's a there's a there's a reason why I'm here. Nobody gets nobody gets shot 15 times and and is you know running around cracking jokes about it. Yeah. Uh, but I do because I think it's important to know. And, and remember, you can get through anything. You know what I mean? You got to use your head and all that. But uh, what you do is second to none. Very few people can live your life as ED, as FD and LE. These are, we're small microcosm of society, but we're the ones also when it hits the fan, we're still clapping like, all right, let's get it on. Let's, whatever we got to do, we got to do. And The bell rings and you're out the door, ready to go. Right. And I mean, how many people really want to do that? It's a very small world, you know, especially when you talk about police and fire and ED nurses. Um, you know, I hear it all the time and in the nurse circle. It's like it's, we're a unique breed. And it's funny because I've heard police officers say that many times and you can tell, you know, the, the dedication and the passion is unmistakable. And to continue on uh, enriching multiple types of audiences outside of law enforcement in your retirement. I mean, that certainly says a lot about um, what you think you can still offer based off of your experience. So, uh, you know, Lieutenant Brian Murphy, thank you so much for being a part of the uh, Fall Regional Symposium here in Milwaukee and, and taking a little bit of time, extra time to be a part of the ENA podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. Um, and you can read more about the Fall Regional Symposium and more about the panel that uh, Lieutenant Murphy was a part of here in Milwaukee in an upcoming issue of ENA Connection. So until next time, thank you for listening to the podcast and we will talk to you again very soon, maybe even from Milwaukee.